0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, chapters 2 and 3. Glory, Glory to you, o Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, that Old Testament reading that Kevin read earlier is the book of Deuteronomy's version of the third commandment of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments being found in the Bible, not only in the book of Deuteronomy, but also found in the book of Exodus, both This is kind of fun. Both versions of the Ten Commandments uh, and the the Third Commandment here are the same in Deuteronomy and Exodus, which isn't always the case when there's more than one version, but it's kind of encouraging for those of us who like God to be clear when God is laying out expectations for us. But there are also differences between the two, Deuteronomy and Exodus, when it comes to the rationale for the commandment, which actually I also find to be encouraging because it turns out that when you're, when you're doing what God desires, turns out that that's oftentimes a good idea for many reasons, not just one. The identical content of the third commandment in both Deuteronomy and Exodus, Exodus is the command one day a week to remember, to observe, the NRSV says, the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, keep it connected to God and God's desires by not doing any work on that one day a week but resting then the book of Exodus then goes on to say that the reason for doing that is that even God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth for crying out loud took a break after six days and the world did not fall apart so guess what unless you happen to think you're more, you're more important than God This is an issue occasionally for people, but unless you happen to think you're more important than God, don't be thinking that bricks from work aren't important in your case too, and though this may come as a shock to hear this, the universe is not going to stop and fall apart because you're off-grid for a day. Indeed, as many have discovered, the falling apart that inevitably happens finally when our lives are non-stop with work and no ever rest The falling apart that inevitably happens eventually isn't the falling apart of the universe, but of ourselves. The falling apart of our health. Given the fact that if our jobs involve physical labor, our bodies need some holy time when we're not physically active. And if, like mine, my job involves very little physical labor, then my body needs some holy time where I am physically active. Or the falling apart of our relationships with our loved ones, who have a hard time knowing our love for them if they never know where we are anymore, they just know we're not here hardly ever, or the falling part of our relationship with our soul, when we discover that we've ignored it for so long we don't know where it is anymore. Deuteronomy goes in a different direction in its rationale Behind this same commandment, saying that the reason for the commandment is because it's not just you who needs a holy, healthy pattern of work and rest, but in fact, everybody does, and even everything does, which includes your spouse, your children, your animals, your servants, those who work for you, and even says Deuteronomy. The alien who is a resident in your land, presumably those who work for you, whether or not they have a green card. Deuteronomy expands on that with a history lesson saying, Do you remember when your ancestors were the ones in a foreign land? And how they were exploited and abused by being made to work always, and how literally many of them worked themselves to death? That, says God in Deuteronomy, is not just how my people don't act That is how my people don't treat other people. For my compassion and my desire for good is a a desire for all people. Exodus picks that direction up and goes even further a few chapters later, saying that it is not just God and you and all people and even animals that need to rest sometimes, but that is even true for the Earth itself, Kelly Dunham did a presentation last year on the prairies, and this is a he knows this thought that even the Earth needs a break sometimes. So the book of Exodus says that not once every seven days, but in exodus twenty three it does say once every seven years, let the re- land rest for a year, don't plant anything on it and what's more, it says, if anything grows on it anyway during that time. Don't go out and harvest it. Rather, allow the poor to come onto your land and harvest it for themselves because without having any land, they may well need the the harvest more than you do. Don't you hate it when the Bible seems to forget that God is a just-take-care-of-yourself capitalist? (laughs) Now, in neither Exodus nor Deuteronomy, and you may have noticed this, there's really not a religious, a lot of religious talk going on in the rationale for this commandment. Um, I mean, it doesn't mention going to church anywhere in the commandment, but it grows rather from something the God of the Bible apparently just regards as a natural fact, and that is that caring for yourself, as well as caring for others, as well as caring for the earth, is not done by working or always just never not working to provide for yourself, but is rather done sometimes by resting and encouraging and allowing others to do the same. That said, this is the third commandment, which, and you can probably do this math, means that it comes after the first and the second commandments, the first of which says, I am the Lord your God, You shall have no other gods before me, reminding you that God is God and nobody else is God, and that includes you for God's sake. So remember that and stop running around acting like you're God. And the second of the two commandments, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, then reminds you that when God gave you God's name, when God gave God's people, it's things like when you give your name or your card to someone and it's, it's a way to contact you. God wants God's name to be used the way it's meant to be used. That's why God gave it to you, which is not trivially, oh my God, oh my God, God becoming an exclamation mark, or damningly, you don't need examples of that, but rather God gave God's people God's name so that it might be used the way it's meant to be used, which says Luther in the Catechism, is in prayer, in praise, in worship. For that reason, though the third commandment all by itself doesn't say anything really at all about being explicitly religious, like going to church, the commandments was early on understood and practiced, by Jews and Christians by not just resting the body and allowing others to rest their bodies but but also by worshiping. Which at its authentic best, worship at its authentic best is about all three commandments being kept as one you remember in worship who is God and who is not. And two, you use God's name in prayer and praise and worship. And three, you rest the deepest rest there is as you don't just rest the body in the plush depth of that favorite chair you love. But rather and better you rest the soul by resting in the deep, deep, deepest plush depth of God's love. And so at its deepest, the third commandment is a commandment to live life wholly well by remembering and putting into practice the liberating and life-giving reality that in body and soul you need rest to live and others do too. Of course, humans being as human as we are about being human oftentimes brokenly and destructively. There's probably not any liberatingly life-giving thing that we can't find a way to turn somehow into a life-suffocating thing, which is what has happened by the the time of today's gospel story, by which time religion, and I'm meaning religion in the worst sense of the word, by the time of today's Gospel story, religion had turned the Sabbath commandment into not anymore something lovingly given to you for your good and for the good of others too, but rather as a commandment given to you as a yardstick for you to prove to God and to others how good you are at being religious. And therefore, of course, how good you are to it being way, way better than other people, religiously speaking. Others whom, of course, you therefore now live your life judging for they're not goodness compared to you and the commandments, religiously speaking. Which, of course, is what was going on in our Gospel reading for today, where on a particular Sabbath day, Jesus' disciples are picking grain and eating it, and the way better than anybody at being religious Pharisees condemn them, for that, and by extension commend, condemn Jesus for not stopping them from, from blatantly and egregiously sinfully violating God's holy commandment by working on the Sabbath, to which Jesus says and by the way, he's angry that, that doesn't happen a lot, but he's angry about this, they're not breaking the Sabbath, they're hungry and they're eating, which is wholly fine Because the Lord of the Sabbath wants the hungry to be fed every day of the week. Then he reminded them and us that the commandment wasn't given as an abstract religious thing for us just religiously to conform to or holier than thou religiously to judge others for not conforming to. It was rather given to us and others for our good. In his words, humankind was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humankind. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't meant to be a burden. It was given to be a gift. Then in our gospel story for the day, it being the Sabbath, Jesus continued to the synagogue, presumably to use God's name in prayer, praise, and worship. But arriving there, he found a man with a withered, Hand, a man whom um, one of the members of Jim McGrawards at our Bible study this summer suspected that this man was actually a plant. That he had been put there by the holier than thou Pharisees because they knew what he would do, what Jesus would do. And so they, they put him there as a plant, and then as soon as he did what they knew he was going to do, they were going to they were gonna catch Jesus in the very act of breaking the Sabbath, and they had already decided that the press release would refer to this as Sabbath (laughs) gate. The Pharisees now, as Jesus approached the man with the withered hand, did what the religiously self-righteous loved to do, they watched. Waiting for the opportunity to catch him in the act and to point fingers and judgments in religious outrage. And that's when Jesus looked back at them and said to them, my paraphrase, You, in your life-sapping religious ways, would have me do what is right right now and have me honor God right now by not doing anything right now on the Sabbath. But God would have God's people do what is right right now and always and honor God right now and always by doing good, including right now on the Sabbath. And with that, he healed the man. And with that, the Pharisees and some political co-conspirators, the Herodians, began to conspire together how they might destroy this bleeding heart do-gooder before he destroyed the great goodness of of both their nation and their religion with all of his due gooding Which takes us to us, uh, some of us who, including me for sure, i am tell you, uh, I grew up in Sioux County, Iowa. This is the exact opposite of Johnson County, Iowa, I want to tell you. <laughs> some of us also, though, grew up in times and places where the Sabbath commandment was taken very seriously. In my hometown, uh, for example, Sundays were for going to church, by the way, twice. We went in the morning and we went at night, every Sunday. And then in the afternoon we napped, every Sunday. And there was not one farmer who farmed even one acre of land on Sunday. I don't know how they got by. There was not one business that was open for one minute on Sunday. I did not know how these businesses made any money. The gas stations weren't open. The restaurants weren't open, the golf course and the swimming pool weren't open. It wasn't because we all necessarily thought that golfing or swimming were sinful on the Sabbath, although we weren't sure. They might well have been. But we did expect that expecting others to work so that we could golf or swim was sinful. We all knew this. Now, by the way, I have a tea time this afternoon, so, uh, you know, uh, times have changed. And some of those changes are no doubt for good, and uh, the culture has changed, and some of those ways are surely for good. And I have since become a Lutheran, which has been really for good. Uh, people ask me why I became a Lutheran, and if there's no, if it's just making conversation, I'll say because I married one. Um, which is how I met Lutherans, who I thought were a lot like Catholics, which was an interesting observation because I had never met a Catholic. (laughs) But they dressed the way that I assumed Catholics dressed. But the actual reason that I became a Lutheran, when it got to the time where we were actually conversing about it, so theoretically I had voice. Although I should tell you, when my wife and I vote, if it's tied, she breaks ties. What I became a Lutheran for was because hanging around those Lutherans, I, I, it took me a while to give a word to what it was. I, I later learned the word. The word was grace. Uh, that's why I became a Lutheran. That There was just no deeper anything to rest in than the deep, deepest death of not rules, but of grace. That said, I wonder sometimes. I wonder if we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. For I wonder sometimes when people talk about the pace of their lives, or sometimes when my soul has talked to me about the pace of my life at certain times of my life, or sometimes when parents have talked to me about the pace of their children's lives and their family life, in which they can't Only not all get to church together on Sunday morning. They can't even as a family even get together to all the other places they need to be too on a Sunday morning. And that's when I wonder sometimes about not just others but our whole culture including me and all this change that I've seen. And what I wonder is if we haven't gotten so free from old fashioned and legalistic constraints that we have in some ways become slaves again. And what we've become slaves to is our freedom, for free never to rest, body, mind, or soul, it's really quite easy never to rest, body, mind, or soul, only to discover that this pace we've freely chosen has become its own kind of prison. Andre Chi writes of the time when he made a journey from the last century to the interior of the Congo, the journey on which his party had been pushing ahead at a fast pace for a number of days, and one morning when the Europeans were ready to set out on the next leg of the journey, the Congolese members of their party, who were carrying all the food and the equipment, were just sitting around the campsite, making no preparations to be getting getting going. And when they were asked about it, they said, quite simply, that they had been traveling so fast in the last few days that they had gotten ahead of their souls. And so they were just going to sit and wait for one day so that their souls could catch up to them. We can't turn the clock back, and I don't want to, but you know, sometimes in throwing out trash unselectively, you simultaneously throw out a treasure that was in the drawer or the, or the box or the closet with it. Like the treasure of a God who created us and who then rested. Not just to rest, but actually to enjoy us. And who calls us, not like we used to, those days are gone gone for good, never to be returned to, but who calls us to return in the ways we can to living lives that are as good as they're meant to be because busy all the time is precisely what you were not created to be. Sabbath. Rest time. Worship time. Do you have enough of that in your life? If not, is it maybe about time? Amen.